Welcome to On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. As always, if you'd like to reach me, you can follow me on Instagram, mattlucasbkk, or email me at apeeredmattpeerlucas at gmail.com. Thanks to all the people that have supported me so far, sharing the podcast, leaving reviews. If you'd like to leave a review, that would be super helpful. You can do so on the iTunes store. Also, a plug for my book, I'm Fighting in Thailand, A Guide to the Sport in the Motherland. It was years in the making, studying and being in the game, and it's basically a Muay Thai encyclopedia. It goes over scoring, matchmaking, picking a gym, fight styles, gambling, and much more. It also contains a series of interviews with long-term expat fighters, uh, including Michael Savas, Willie Whipple, Lisa Brealey, Angela Chung, and others. It is a definitive guide to help clear up questions and to help people understand the game. As always, thank you to Patrick Rivera for getting this show started. So this will be our first in a four-part series on career development. Specifically, we will be talking to Charlie Catone about career development for coaches and what it means to be a coach and the differences between being a gym owner and a coach and what sort of responsibilities go into coaching and to some extent into being a gym owner. So Charlie has a lot of experience. He's grown a really successful gym in Philadelphia, Eight Limbs Academy. It's over in West Philadelphia. So without further ado, the interview with Charlie. So thank you, Charlie, for coming on the show today. Uh, how are you doing? I'm, I'm well, thank you. Yeah. How are you, Matt? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm very busy last week, but things are going well. So we're going to be talking a lot about career development in this series. And I think one of the big things that's happening these days, especially in the U.S., is coaches are developing, um, especially their careers. So I think, you know, we should start at sort of the beginning uh, why did you want to become a coach and how did that sort of happen with you? Um, so honestly, um, I didn't really start off as a coach. I just kind of filled a role, uh, at the gym that I was training at there, there was no one teaching like an afternoon class or a morning class. And it just happened that I was keeping a schedule that I could teach those classes. Um, so I never like tried to become a coach. I just started teaching classes. Um, the people that took my classes started to enjoy it. And I, I don't know, that's really, that's honestly, it was never something I tried to become. I just mm -hmm. was not crappy at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that you have developed as a coach. Most of your fighters have done pretty well at TBAs. Uh, you have uh, Janine Pila, who had a good showing at Wacko. Um, recently, uh, Sean uh, Gorman has gone overseas and has done well in the States as well. Um, so how how do you think that changed for you or and or did it change uh, from being sort of a fill-in guy to being a bit more um, 
maybe focused about being a coach? Um, so it's honestly like nothing I've tried to become. Um, it was always something that I just felt like I was filling a role or I was kind of becoming, uh, I, I was taking up a space that I'm sorry, I was taking up like a role that just had nothing there. Um, when I became like a, an actual coach, like a head coach, it's because the other coaches from my gym left mm -hmm. and I was just kind of like there. Mm -hmm. And that that's honestly how I like became got my first like coaching gig mm -hmm. is because somebody else left and they were like, uh, you used to teach the 10 AMs. Do you want to do more? And I was like, okay. And that's like legitimately how I got started. Um, uh, and it's just kind of like time and repetition mm -hmm. and like tons and tons of failure, uh, a lot of self-reflection and just like doing that same cycle of things endlessly. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you said you had that initial role at that first gym, but you've had eight limbs for a number of, of years. It's been maybe seven or eight years at least, correct? Yeah. And you've always been the head coach there as well, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it's all, it's just me and Kate basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's no like head coach, like assistant coach roles. It's just like, <laughs> there's just me and Kate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, when you moved into that position, uh, running eight limbs, were you a bit more cognizant of, oh, this is, I'm going to have to coach a lot more. And this is, you know, something that I want to do. Yeah. So initially we opened the place wanting to like provide opportunity or wanting to um uh give a space to somebody who normally wouldn't kind of fit into a normal like combat sports school and we tried our best to really um make our spot extremely like open um and that was like our initial kind of like mission statement and Figuring out what that took to do that correctly took a long time and took a lot of failure and took a lot of like pivoting and adjusting. Um, so uh, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Mm. So uh, we, our mission statement was kind of uh, like almost uh, immature. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I want to do this thing, but. I didn't really know how to do that thing that I, I, I was trying to do. And because of that, like, you know, it caused problems. Yeah. I mean, that's a normal process in learning and developing. Um, yeah. And any sort of progression, you're going to make some mistakes. What do you think uh, you did correctly? And what do you think you learned from some of those mistakes? Uh. Well, that's, I mean, that's two questions, but mistakes, like at first I was very, like, I, I beat myself up about a lot of mistakes and I would really hold on to the mistakes and they kind of like formed me in a very negative way. Mm. Um, and instead of kind of like growing from them, I just built a lot of like resentment 
and guilt and just kind of a lot of negativity around like the mistakes that I made. Um, and it wasn't until like, I kind of found different perspective that I was able to like make a mistake, um, uh, adjust and do it better. Um, mm -hmm. it took a long time. It took a lot of maturity to be able to do that. And I think that's just with anything, like, mm -hmm. uh, anything you do in life. Um, so I think some of the things I did correct were I suck. I, um, I always looked for like mentorship mm. in people that have done it better than I have, mm -hmm. you know, and like I would stick to the mentorship and I would stick to like the advice of the people that, you know, do it better than I do it. And I think that was like a, something I did correctly. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Who were some of your mentors in sort of developing as a coach and what did you learn from them? Um, so, I mean, I could speak directly about like mentorship, um, but I'll also speak about like how I try to learn from anything. Um, so I guess like the very first mentor that I had was this guy, Lonnie Beck, who owns a series of like uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing schools mm -hmm. um, in like probably an hour away from us. He was just like a friend of mine. Um, but when it came time to open up our school, he kind of like did a series, like had a series of like holding my hand, but then also like smacking me on my butt and being like, all right, this is how you got to do it. Stop acting like an idiot or, you know, gently guided me into certain directions. <laughs> um, but he did a really good, he did an incredible job, like helping me out. And he was um, extremely uh, forthcoming with like any information. Um, I found a lot of help from him. Um, as far as the business goes and as far as the gym goes. Um, and then I think like uh, how to run a school is where I, I, I learned from uh, Karen Fitzgibbons. Mm -hmm. uh, I found that asking him questions and being part of like his like little network was extremely helpful on how to like, I don't know, just run a bigger school. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think Finally, Rami Ibrahim was, I think, how to deal with fighters, not necessarily like how to hold the pads, but just how to, how to deal with the fighters. Uh, I, I had a lot of panicked calls to him. And um, so I guess, in essence, those three guys really, um, as far as like Muay Thai goes, they, they helped quite a bit. Yeah, and you sort of learn different things from each of them. Uh, oh, yeah. Lonnie, you learn business. From Kieran, you run like sort of the logistics of running classes and structuring the programs. Yeah. From Rami, you know, more maybe the nitty-gritty fighting coaching thing. Yeah. Um, do you think that, you know, to be a successful Muay Thai coach, you need all three aspects? Or do you feel like, oh, to be an accomplished Muay Thai coach – you just need, you know, one or two of these sort of facets. Um, personally, yeah, I needed all three of those, mm -hmm. but that's just for me personally. Um, if you take a look at Lonnie, like Lonnie does, Lonnie has really one fighter. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a great kid, um, but his success doesn't come from fights like at all. And it's not a, it's not a measurement of like how successful he is. Um, uh, so I, I, 
the, what Lonnie has done is nothing short of incredible with like his kids programs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how he develops people into like assistant coaches and what he does for people is incredible. And like, it's something I would, I inspire to do and I inspire to be, and sometimes he'll be like, you know, I'm not a, like a Muay Thai coach like you are. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> you're, an, you're an incredible coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, he just doesn't have fighters. So for him, it's not that important. And I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a good issue to bring up is, you know, a lot of times, at least in the world of Muay Thai, um, your, your abilities as a coach is directly, you know, tied to your abilities to bring up or train fighters. Yeah. Uh, How do you feel about that? And, you know, what do you think that says about, you know, the sport or, you know, some of like how coaches develop? Um, I have, I have this thought that coaches are really only proving themselves to other coaches. Mm -hmm. So like, um, if you don't give a shit, like (laughs) how many fighters and how well they're doing doesn't matter. Like if your Mm -hmm. students are, are excited and having fun, like it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. If people are enjoying Muay Thai or if they're enjoying kickboxing or karate, I think you're doing a good job as a coach. Um, And I I think that especially in the United States, people get really, um, focused or they overinflate the importance of having successful fighters um, because that type of success is is really just like the per- perspective of like another coach like oh they got a lot of good fighters that means they're successful mm-hmm. but you know i might have like very successful fighters but i might have a a tiny school that doesn't make any money and everybody's unhappy and I go home and I hate my life, you know, like (laughs) that's not success or for me, that's not success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess hitting on that point, what is success and what do you think makes someone a successful coach then? Uh, I don't know. I, um, (laughs) I, I don't, Hey, and I don't think you need to have the answers, you know? Yeah. So I, I hope this doesn't sound too like uh, new age, but I don't personally define success. I think success is something that is somebody else's perspective of, of me. Mm-hmm. So I don't define my own success. I, I don't find that it's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely like look at other people and I look at other coaches or I look at other gyms or other fighters and I say, I think that they're successful or unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just imagine that I'm kind of judged in that same manner mm-hmm. that somebody else is kind of like judging me about how my success is, but like my success honestly is kind of like measured in how like happy I am to be with my like daughter and my wife mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with like <laughs> how well the gym is doing. Like if I can go skateboarding, have dinner with my wife 
and like play with my daughter like i'm I'm a really happy person <laughs> <laughs> and uh, are you able to do that regularly no no so. i i yeah it's it's t i mean it's tough especially right now mm -hmm. um i get to I, i'm with my daughter all the time and that's incredible Mm -hmm. And I'd love it if I could spend more time with my wife that doesn't involve the gym. But since we're gym owners, it's mm -hmm. like constantly crossed. Uh, you know, we're constantly in each other's like business. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we got a lot of fighters, so it's hard for me to go skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some good uh, skate parks in Philadelphia. Though. <laughs> Maybe uh, that needs to be part of your fighter training. Um, yes. What, what is it like having uh, so many fighters and, you know, how do you try and develop them? Um, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. Uh, it's emotionally difficult. It's mentally exhausting. It's physically exhausting. Um, because that role of that coach is only one of my many hats that I have to wear, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it takes up like 80% of my energy mm -hmm. and it's hard. Um, I guess to answer your question is like emotional IQ. Mm -hmm. um, I can't, I can't treat everybody the same. I mm -hmm. ask questions. Uh, I try to perceive what's going on while I'm holding pads. Um, I try to find out what they like. Uh, I don't try to force anybody into a, a box. Like I kind of wish I could, and I could train everybody the exact same, you know, mm -hmm. but I train Claire different than I train Sean. I train Matt different than I train Greg. Mm -hmm. Greg is different than, you know, and it's, it's difficult, mm -hmm. but I think it's, I think it's in the end, probably better mm -hmm. just to be able to understand kind of like, how their body works, um, kind of what they're going through. Are they in a good mood? Are they in a bad mood? Like all that's really important, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that having that broad range of experiences is really going to help you develop as well. I know it's always stressful, but you know, having that cookie cutter formula can sometimes get repetitive and sort of uh, routine. Um, do you think, I mean, how do you deal with having these, you know, six or seven different fighters with different styles? Do you like keep notes on them or do you like, you know, yeah. you keep notes on them? Yeah. What, what is that process like? And how, like, how often <laughs> are you doing that sort of thing? Uh, all the time. Uh -huh. um, uh, I just have notes in my phone mm -hmm. and, um, I'll before like I have a pad session like with Janine today. Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of looked at some of my notes from her last fight and what we're gonna what I'm gonna try to do in her next fight mm. and um, kind of just figure out how to get from point A to point B. But mm -hmm. also, you know, she's jet lagged. Yeah. So I can't crush her. I'm not gonna try to crush her on the pads. Mm -hmm. So today today was a good day to just work some combos mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, when I hold pads, what is say Friday, uh, I was supposed to hold pads for Sean and I probably would have crushed Sean just because <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I haven't held for him in a little bit. So I like, I probably would have like 
you know, I, I probably would have buried him um, mm -hmm. just to get work out of him and kind of show, like, let him know that he's still in good shape, put him through the fire so that he comes out feeling like, ah, I, I can do it. I got it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, I take, I, I take notes. Um, it, it's just, everybody has a page in my phone and I constantly just kind of re up that page and, okay. uh, but we have right now we have about like, uh, 25 to 30 active fighters. So it's a lot of notes. Yeah. That's a lot of notes and it's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of planning and, you know, knowing sort of keeping track of what's going on all the time. I guess, um, you know, talking about maybe Janine's last outing, um, she represented the U.S. over in Italy for Racco. Um, what was coaching her through that process like, and what did you learn from that? Uh, it, was, it, it was fun. I had a lot of fun this camp with her uh, because it was just kind of like holding lots of um, – lots of volume and just kind of letting her rip mm -hmm. and, you know, holding eight and nine shot combinations is really, is really fun. Like <laughs> it's not very, it's not really stressful. It's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just a good, it's, it was a good time. Um, mm -hmm. So um, there was a handful of things that like we had to focus on, like you got to score the low kick, right. Mm -hmm. And Wick and Wacko or Waco it's, important to do that. So obviously we were throwing combinations to a low kick and that's not necessarily our style of how to do stuff. Um, instead of clinching, you know, throwing short punches, instead of elbowing, throwing uppercuts, you know, it's just stuff like that that you have to make like little adjustments to. Um, but at the end, it's still a fight, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was still preparing her for a fight. Mm -hmm. um, and what, oh, go ahead. What do you think you learned from watching her performances in Italy? Um, that I could have kept it a lot more simple mm -hmm. because I had this idea that K1 is supposed to be this like high volume, three hands to a low kick, roll off, two punches, low kick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it's a different scoring system. It's a different, uh, it's a definitely a different, type of fight sport but at the end janine was still fighting mm -hmm. you know and she's a good athlete so she can make the adjustment from muay thai to k1 to kickboxing pretty simply and i didn't have to do all those rounds of like punch 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 low kick body shot low kick bye 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 like we you know could have just continued to develop her as a muay thai fighter that's really it like i could have kept it more simple mm. Do you, do you feel like each time uh, an athlete of yours has a bout that you learn something? Or do you feel like sometimes you learn some things, sometimes you don't? What is that sort of process like? To be very honest, like I know this is going to kind of sound shitty. Um, that depends on my level of like burnout. Mm -hmm. If I have the emotional availability, like I can – I can learn from every moment of, uh, of this fight, like to the, from the walkout to the warm up. I can learn from all of it, but you know, if I've held 40 rounds that day and then I got to go drive to New York, um, and sit in traffic and 
miss, you know, some family time, I'm going to show up at those fights and I might just be going through the motions. And like, I'm okay to admit that because every single solitary coach goes through that, but I don't think mm -hmm. many people recognize it. Yeah, so, I think, oh, I think it's so, a very, uh, very good point. Yeah, I, I think it's important to like recognize that if if I'm not feeling my best, like it, it's it's impactful. But there's a question that you were gonna. <laughs> there's a question that you asked in the um. Uh, you you sent to me earlier. Uh -huh. um, it was about uh, like um, what type of fighter do I need, or what like you asked like what I need from a fighter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think something very important that I learned is that I need um, an independent fighter. Mm -hmm. I need people who are um, that don't need me. And I think that's really important. Mm. I think if people like rely on everything from me, it's, it's not a good relationship. It's like a, a bad relationship. So if you think about like, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, like if you need everything from that one person, that means that you're not a healthy partner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I need like a healthy student. I need a healthy fighter emotionally, mentally, physically, um, because I've got so many fighters and so many things outside of the gym that if I'm everything to this one person, it's really hard. Yeah. And I assume you've sort of had those circumstances where people rely on you too much or, you know, something happens where the, you know, it becomes more of a crutch situation. Yeah. I, I've just been a therapist to too many people. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't want to make that sound condescending because I definitely put myself in this position. But, you know, after 10 years of being uh, an unqualified therapist, like it like it took its toll on me. <laughs> yeah, like you were saying before, there's a lot of emotional sort of investment and, you know, trials going into coaching, uh, especially when fighters you know, lose or have bad days or have bad yeah. performances, you know, you, as a coach, you sort of need to be there and pat them on the back and, you know, tell them, go get them tiger next time, <laughs> even though you might want to tell them something else, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a difficult, that's a, it, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. Under pressure, stress, and like other difficulties in your life. Like if I'm not feeling well, that's a very difficult thing to do for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Under normal circumstances, I find it very easy when someone loses a fight and they get out of the ring and I give them a hug. I'm like, ah, hey, no, hey, we'll get them next time, bud. Let's get back in the ring. I'll see you training. You know, that's a hard thing to do if, you know, your gym just burned down. Like it's yeah. a hard thing to do if, you know, if there's other insane stressors in your life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a coach, um, there's definitely a lot of stress, not only on the business side, but on the fight side. How do you deal with that, those stressful situations? Um, so this is a two phase answer and I hope I can, I hope I can answer this correctly. So the first bit, so stress doesn't just appear, you know, that like, 
it's not just like all of a sudden now I'm stressed. Stress is like a, for me, it's something that escalates. Um, and it, I'm getting better at recognizing the escalation of stress. So my plan isn't like a contingency plan. Like now I'm stressed out. What do I do? It, my plan is more like, all right, I'm starting to feel all this burnout. I'm starting to feel all this stress. Like, what do I do to not become a stressed out maniac? But it still happens. <laughs> so um, normally it's like a few things that I can look at. I can look at like, am I dieting or am I eating like a, am I eating poorly? Am I exercising? Am I spending time with my family? Am I able to like do anything for myself? And normally when there's a lot of stress and I'm eating pizza and, um, you know, there's a lot of fights and I'm not hanging out with my family and I haven't touched a skateboard in two months. When those two, two things combined is usually when I'm, you know, not at my best. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, and that sort of goes back to your need for independent fighters that are able to sort of step it up when, you know, things aren't easily available to the, to them. Yeah. What, do you feel like, you know, getting independent fighters is something that you have to build in people? Or do you think that, you know, you sort of select or these people sort of are independent already and come to you? Oof, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I definitely feel like there was a while where um, maybe because I, I don't know. Honestly, that's a hard question to ask. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. to answer. Um, because I have some very independent people. Like, I don't want to keep like talking about Janine, but like, you know, Janine just went to Italy without me and texted me. We talked on the phone a handful of times and we would text a couple of times, but she was just like, yeah, things are great. I made weight and, you know, I got to fight a little bit later. And the structure was pretty, from what I understand, the structure, the coaching structure at Wacko was pretty independent. So it wasn't like coaches staying on top of the fighters. It was like, these are your duties, get your shit done, show up at the ring and we'll corner you. Um, so Janine's like a very independent fighter. I have another person that I coach <laughs> that <laughs> is used to not be in, independent at all. It was very dependent on me. And over time, you know, after I bought him sneakers a bunch of times and probably underwear and sheets and all those sorts of things. He's a, he sounds like a baby. <laughs> um, he's become a much more independent person. Yeah, and that's have, great. Yeah. But it took some time. So, you know, some people, it sounds like you've had to build. Some people have come into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I sort of switching gears a little bit. Um, obviously, you you are one of the I would say more well known coaches in the U.S. Um, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of being a coach in the U.S.? Um, I think a big disadvantage in the United States is. Um, there's a barrier of entry with money. 
-hmm. Like, um, it's expensive. It really is. And, you know, so we do uh, TBA, we do IKF, we do uh, WKA, the USMTOs, Waco, and then, uh, oh, there's more. I know they're Tournament of Champions. Uh, oh, there's so many. Rev, Rev Gear too, right? Yeah, yeah, one? yeah. Rev Gear, I think, is Tournament of Champions. Oh, I think they oh, just renamed boy. it. But that's basically um, eight tournaments right there. So yeah, that there's and there's there's probably more. Mm -hmm. There's one gonna be in Denver coming up. And so just personally, like my finances, um, I gotta pay for my hotel, I gotta mm -hmm. pay for a car, I gotta pay for my flights, and I gotta pay for my food, and I gotta understand that time away from the gym costs the gym money too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can look at three or four thousand dollars every time you leave mm -hmm. and like that is that's a lot of that's a lot of money it's a lot <laughs> yeah. of money yeah especially when you're doing it you know eight plus times a year yeah like, you know twenty thousand dollars or more how god so, damn yeah <laughs> that's a lot of sticky rice <laughs> that, that's a few hamburgers as well <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that's a real barrier of entry, preventing coaches or, you know, making them choose certain fights or certain de decisions. Um, do you see there's a way to sort of solve that or how do you deal with that? Um, so I think that there's two, another main thing that is that we have a problem with in the United States is that there's no structured progress to like to the to the better or to the best and there's no way to um to accurately track um like a champion mm -hmm. um so i grew up wrestling and wrestling there's like uh you know besides your normal matches against other schools there's um kind of like a a school district tournament and then there's a a county tournament and then there's a, a state tournament and then after states there's nationals i never got to state i mean i never got to nationals but like um there's an ascent to like mm -hmm. and there's a there's a growth plan there's a thing that you can get to in muay thai if you're not traveling the country and you're not traveling and you're doing all these tournaments um you can have this weird perspective of like a champion where this person with three fights fights this guy with five fights and then they get a belt and it's mm -hmm. just because these kind of coaches are are kind of limited to these local organizations mm -hmm. and there's no like ascent upwards mm -hmm. and it's like that's the plateau is like this local belt and i think that's a big i think that's a big problem with the progression in the United States. And I think that the USMF is like making an honest effort at it, mm -hmm. but it, but it's going to take more than like what the eight, 10 people, maybe 20 people max who are like heavily involved in the U USMF. 
to like wrangle the United States of America into an organized, like <laughs> into an organized thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's no sort of pyramid structure to it where you can tell like, okay, I'm at this level, this level, and now I'm at that level. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you feel like it makes it hard for the fighters themselves to know where they are at in terms of their careers or? Um, not necessarily. Oh, I don't want to sound like a prick. Uh, I don't think so in our gym mm -hmm. because we do, we do go all over the place. Yeah. And I've had arguments with some local like coaches and, um, you know, whether it be like, oh, we should go pro. Mm -hmm. and like, have they fought at TBAs? Like, cause mm -hmm. you know that the Midwest is chock full of like really good fighters mm -hmm. or like, have you fought on the East, on the West coast? Mm -hmm. Have you fought the Canadians? Have you mm -hmm. fought anybody from Mexico? Like, mm -hmm. these are all things that you gotta, I feel like you have to do. And the fighter out of my gym, that's five and one knows that they're still a baby, mm -hmm. you know, know that they're still like, just kind of get like scratching the surface of like B class, you know? Mm -hmm. um and isn't like on the way to ascending to a professional fighter like it's going to take a long a long 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 time mm -hmm. so i really you, hope that didn't come off cocky no i don't think it did and i think you know basically what you've done with your team and your fighters is you've structured you know maybe an unset plan or stages of growth you know yeah. okay like you have these three or four local fights okay now you're ready for tbas Oh, you want TBAs twice. Okay. Now we, you know, go somewhere else. Yeah. We go somewhere else. Okay. Now you're maybe ready for international or, you know, further, further yeah. along. Um, what something we've talked about before is, uh, you've asked about, uh, getting better, um, you know, being better at pad holding and other <laughs> skills. I mean, it's a legit thing. How, what skills do you think coaches need to be good at and how do you get better at them? Um, I think time, repetition, and I almost want to say proper inspiration. Uh -huh. Like, um, <laughs> I feel like unskillful, um, inspiration is like watching uh like the mayweathers hold pads and i can be like oh that's really cool but that should not inspire me as a coach i i feel like that is unskillful um and uh i i was just speaking to um um i spoke to jason farrell because he was hanging out with um uh, janine while she was at waco and uh, she had a lot of great things to say about how he was helping her and uh, I hold, we are two very separate types of like pad, pad men, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, um, I watch, I started, I, I have always watched Jason cause I think he's like a, a really good coach. Mm -hmm. Um, even though him and I do are very, uh, dissimilar, we're not the same mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as far as coaching goes. Um, but I have like a very, very healthy respect for what he does. So when I watch him, I get inspiration from it and I you know, I saw him like holding some Southpaw work with Janine and he was doing this weird hold with the mitts. And I was like, oh, this is, that's 
really kind of cool. So mm-hmm. I think repetition, I think time, and I think some like good advice and skillful uh, inspiration will like <laughs> will go pretty far. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially repetition. Do you, yeah. Do you feel like uh, there's a lot of, you know, good role models and good inspiration for uh, other coaches in the U.S.? And for yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, I, uh, I I wrote, I jot down some answers to some of your questions that mm-hmm. you sent earlier. And um, I, do you know who uh, Joel Estevez is? Yeah, I do. Um, so like, he, I, I kind of see him as like a peer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's under, like, he, he's under Aziz or with Aziz. And um, I love watching Joel hold pads and I love seeing him interact with his fighters and I love watching him in the ring and I love watching him corner because I feel like he's got a really good vibe and he's very nice uh, and he's kind of always like willing to be playful and joke around, uh, but still has like a pretty like hard nosed coach vibe. Um, and I really like that a lot. So I find actually I, I'm... I, <laughs> Hopefully he he uh, he hears this, uh, and I, I I get inspired by him quite a bit. I think he's a really 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 cool guy. Um, and uh, when I went to to IFMA, I, I went twice, um, and watching the Russians coach was like was absolutely inspirational. I I don't know what it was about it, but I was like, fuck, I want to go to Russia, fuck <laughs> fuck Thailand. I'm going to Russia and I'm going to train and I'm, I'm going to study these Russians. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do. I legitimately <laughs> study the Russians and we had some coaches from Belarus come to the gym and like, I just ate up everything that they said. I love, I loved it. Wait, what do you think was different about them than say the, the Thai trainers or, you know, because I've never, I've never really experienced that much of the Eastern Bloc. Uh, yeah trainers and coaches um so (laughs) this doesn't necessarily apply to what we're talking about but it gives you a sense of their vibe um i don't know if it was me who asked the question but we were hanging out with either some some of the russian coaches um when we were in belarus or maybe one of the belarusian coaches and someone asked like what your perspective like they said to the 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 coach like what's your perspective of americans and in like broken english he was like he, he like said that he thought that we are all like um a bunch of nitwits like always laughing and smiling and like oh, oh, oh. and he's like he's like we only smile when our when our brother has a baby he's like that's when we save our smiles for and he was like I think he would look at both of us laughing right now and be like, "Ugh, <laughs> disgusting." <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't feel that way. I but I thought it was like a cool thing to hear, a cool perspective. Um, mm-hmm. But what I do like is that, like the old Thai trainers and my first coach, like kind of uh, put like old Thai trainers on a pedestal, and. With my experience, the older Thai trainers are like, <laughs> like 
almost like degenerate gamblers who like drink a lot of whiskey and like barely show up and they hold the pads and like as soon as they're done holding the pads they kind of like lay down in the corner and they're like fuck i'm tired <laughs> but the russian coaches and the belarusian coaches and the uh ukrainian coaches are like sportsmen like mm -hmm. lifelong martial artists and they're sportsmen mm -hmm. and i think that's amazing i love that mm -hmm. um and i drew like a lot of like uh hope for myself and even if i'm not gonna like always spar like I'm always going to ride a bike and I'm always going to skateboard. So for me, it was just like a way to like, be like, oh man, I'm still going to do the things that I do no matter how old I am. Like I'm going to be 60 and I'll still be a sportsman. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a good goal. It's, you know, lifelong sports and lifelong activity. Um, sort of, uh, going back to one of your points, uh, you talked about Joel, uh, being one of your peers. Do you feel like, and maybe even Jason Farrow, um, do you feel like you have a lot of peers um, in in the coaches in the United States? And do you feel like there's different generations? Um, I might have a unique um, perspective on that. But um, when I kind of was like, I'm still, let me make sure it's known that I feel like I'm still cutting my teeth. But like when I first started out um, and I started going to all these tournaments, there was like a lot of other like younger coaches who were kind of doing the same thing. And um, even if they're like, they've been around longer or they're kind of just starting, there's, you see the same people at all of the tournaments. So I'll see Dan from Dan's gym and um I'll see like Sean Madden from uh, Elevation and I'll see like this, I see the exact same people everywhere. And if you do eight tournaments a year, you, you kind of like, you recognize these people like, oh, I saw you in Chicago. Like, oh, I saw you here. Oh, I saw you uh, in Arizona. And like, I think if you're like a friendly person, you can like make friends and you can have peers and you have the ability to kind of uh, maybe like commiserate sometimes like, oh, this tournament is fucking brutal, right? I can't believe TBA is in six days this year. Like, you know, to have someone to do that with is important because you don't do that with your students. Like I, our, I don't do that with my, like my fighters. And unless I'm just gonna cry into my pillow, like I gotta be able to talk to somebody. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and it's professional of you not to, you know, be commiserating with your students about how long some things are. Uh, but in terms of, you know, these peers like Sean or maybe Dan, when you're talking to them, do you learn things? And what do you think you learn? Um, I mean, just, I think if you're open to it, uh, you can learn from anything. Like there's a I don't know the name of the coach, but there's a guy that I've seen at a lot of tournaments lately who's just like constantly screaming and constantly complaining about the judges and constantly yelling and like always just like seems like pissed off at somebody. And I can look at him and be like, oh, shit, I don't want to do that. And I think that's a really good way to learn. So like. 
yeah, I watch like Dan hold uh, Dan hold pads for like T money, and I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. Like, I want to be able to do that, and but I can also look at other people and like see behaviors in myself and be like, I gotta chill out. You know, like I think there's like a lot of places where you can just kind of, um, uh, you can learn from places where you can see something that you don't want, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. You know, it's just as important to know what you don't like and what you don't want to be as to know what you do want to be. Um, yeah. I'm sort of, so uh, go ahead. to be, to be clear, like, I think if you have, do you know who Dan is from Dan's gym? Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so he, when I see him hold mitts, like, I don't necessarily want to be able to hold like that. This kind of like, I think it's just freestyle, right? Like he just like stands in front of people and they just like punch. Um, I I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to be that pad holder. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I can see what he's doing and I can see what he's getting out of people. And I like to draw elements of that. I'm like, oh, I can, I like to learn from that. And Mm I'd like to be able to like have like a flow like that and have the fighter, have the fighter be able to like have like almost this realistic bag like mm-hmm. you know yeah. like hitting a bag doesn't do anything but like i can stand in front of you and it's a completely different feel and if you can hit the same way that you hit a bag like that'll most likely translate to the way that you fight yeah absolutely that sort of freestyle is uh at least some thai trainers like to do it i remember mm-hmm. uh one interview with samar payakarun he does that <laughs> he's like oh you know why should i hold you know, and teach them combinations when they fight, they have to think for themselves. So yeah. they, you know, they have yeah. to kick when they think it's appropriate to kick. And then I just catch it and, you know, yeah. tell them how to kick better. Yeah. That's, I have rounds like that where I just let people kick and teep and knee, but like, <laughs> fuck that. If I'm just letting someone swing, <laughs> not happen. I don't want my shoulders to blow off my arms. Yeah. I got too many big people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, especially for big men, it's uh, not so nice. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, well, wrapping things up, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Oh, man, I don't know. Um, so you asked about the difference between a, a coach and a gym owner. Mm. And I think... A lot of people think that they're either the same thing um, or uh, your whole. Uh, yeah, I think people think it's it's the same thing and like that's your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like I've given a lot of interviews before, but um, I think that coaching is just like a single aspect of like a gym owner's responsibility. Um, and if I put too much of my time and effort into being a coach. There's so many aspects of uh, being a gym owner that go neglected. And just because like you were a good fighter and now you hold the pads, doesn't make you a good coach and it definitely doesn't make you a good gym owner. Um, Mm. And this is something that I've learned from Kate, like Mm -hmm. my wife, Kate, she's such she's such a good gym owner. She's an incredible gym owner. Um, and I try to like catch up to her like at all times. She's so good at it. 
um, I think it's really important. I think like, uh, like you've got to take business classes. Mm -hmm. You have to, um, there's so many, so many nuances. Like you have to be, you should, you should understand customer service. Mm. It's really important. Um, and like, I hope that if you are, uh, are becoming like a Muay Thai coach or a gym owner that you've like waited tables or you worked at a coffee shop for, you know, 15 years so that you got your ass whooped in customer service there so that you know how to deal with it when you have a difficult student. Like it's really important. It's really important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, um, just wrapping things up again, I want to say thank you, uh, Charlie, for taking your time out. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, you, yeah. You're definitely growing the sport and doing a lot of things. Uh, so I definitely appreciate you taking your time out. Hey, man, no problem. I had a good time. Thanks, Matt. So that was a great interview with Charlie. I really appreciate him taking his time out. I think he had some really, really great and insightful things to say. Um, you know, a lot of the things about coaches wanting to prove themselves to other coaches and success being, you know, something self-determined rather than determined by other people. It's also interesting just you know, how much fighters play importance in some coaches' self-perception of success and what they are. You know, I think Charlie hit on a lot of really important points about how much work uh, being a coach is and how much more work it is than necessarily being a gym owner. He really mentioned some of the emotional, mental, and physical tolls it takes on coaches. So I definitely think that coaches should be... Uh, you know, well regarded and well rewarded for all their hard work. I think one of the other really, really important parts of Charlie's interview was his pointing out that becoming a coach in America is not easy because there is a barrier of entry. And that barrier is economics. So obviously, Charlie has does a great job with it because he has a very successful gym, but if he didn't have that successful gym, he would not be able to grow his fighters in the same capacity. Uh, fighters like Janine Pila, uh, Matt, who recently fought, uh, Sean Gorman, they wouldn't have the same level of support and ability if Charlie and Kate weren't also very, very successful business owners. So I think it's really important to acknowledge the financial infrastructure that goes into being a coach and you know being a successful coach as well. So that rounds out our first episode in our four-part series on career development. want to again thank Charlie for being part of the interview and the series. I hope to come back in two more weeks with our next episode and we'll be putting these out on the regular once again. So thank you. As always, this has been On Fighting in Thailand, your best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people.